Welcome to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast, where we get to bring you sermons and content to help bring you closer to Jesus, develop your faith, and keep you up to date with everything young adults. Join us Sunday nights at 7 p.m. in the SCG Church Warehouse for our young adult service, or at our main campus services Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you enjoy. So, other than that, friends, we are going to be jumping into our last week of a series we've been doing for the last six weeks called Standing on Grace over the book of Galatians. And so Matt's been helping all of you guys journey through Galatians um, for the last five weeks up until now. And each week he's been going through a chapter of Galatians. And so tonight I get the opportunity to teach the last final chapter, Galatians chapter six, and then next week we're moving into a brand new series. In case you haven't been here over the last five or six weeks or so, let me just give a recap of kind of what Galatians is about. Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul in around 48 AD, about 48 years after Jesus was born as a baby on earth. So he was writing to a church in like the south province of Rome called Galatia. It's like a region, like a whole area called Galatia. And he's writing to this church. He's writing a letter. The whole book is a letter. He's writing to them at this church to kind of like almost like instruct, rebuke, to point out kind of what they've been teaching wrong in this church. His previous years before this, Paul had gone and most likely had established this church in Galatia. And at this church, he, he pretty much helped start it. He gathered people to, to establish a church in the area. And kind of what modern church planters do, they go around to areas where there aren't really churches or where God is not um, really like known or proclaimed, and they, they start churches. And so like back then and like now... Church planters would go around, they find an area that they really feel like God's calling them to, and they go and they, they start this church. And they get people, local people, to jump on board and they, they help build their faith. And then they start building them up to start leading the church and leading people to church and leading other people to Jesus. And then eventually, oftentimes, when um, that church planter really has felt like there's been a solid foundation of people at this church, they end up leaving to start churches somewhere else. And they hand over the mantle of leading that church to the people who are already there. And so Paul kind of did this in a sense. He helped build the church and he handed over the mantle to the people who were there in Galatia who were, who were a part of this church. And then over time, over the years, he, he had been gone from Galatia, planting churches other where and, and proclaiming Jesus around uh, the Roman Empire. They started teaching things that were not really biblical. They weren't teaching things that were, that were really true. They were teaching a gospel. In other words, what we believe as Christians that Jesus came and saved us um, by grace through faith. We're going to define that as the gospel tonight and, and always, generally. Um, they were pre- preaching a gospel that wasn't that. They were teaching a gospel plus something else. They were teaching believe in Jesus, but then you also have to do all these other things. Believe in Jesus, and then you got to fulfill this and do this and wear this and act like this and say this and check off all these boxes, and then you're going to be saved. But us as believers, we, we, we don't believe that fully. We believe in the gospel alone. We believe that we are saved through grace by faith. So Paul, in this whole letter to the Galatians. He's making this point over these six chapters of really what it means to uphold to the gospel. So in chapter one, he makes it the point that there's nothing else on earth that is true to saving us than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no other gospel besides that one gospel. And then he moves on into explaining how um, we are not saved through works. We're not saved through doing something or, or acting a certain way. We're not saved through, through meeting certain criteria. We're saved through believing in Jesus and allowing him to transform our life, to, to live a life that reflects him and points others to him. So he's making this whole case throughout this book in order for the people of Galatia 
and then now us, to really know what it means to, to uphold the gospel and what it doesn't mean. And so tonight, as we close Galatians and move into chapter 6, we're going to be talking about really one, one key idea. I want you guys to understand what the gospel is not. And, and Paul's made this clear before, but I really want to kind of draw into context today, looking back then, what it means for us now. If you guys could take away any one line from tonight, if you could make it a title or whatever you want for tonight, our key phrase for tonight is, a skewed view of the gospel hurts people. A skewed view of the gospel hurts people. This is going to be really important for us to understand because as we look at what Paul has explained all throughout Galatians, there's no other gospel besides the one of Jesus Christ. But sometimes as we look in Christian context, or we look at the church today, we look at so many areas where, where people have done the gospel plus something else, or if they, they, they misinterpret the gospel, or they're ignorant to the full truth of the gospel, sometimes now we're fed truth, that we're fed things that people think are true, but they're not truth. So I want to bring and hone down into a real interpretation of what it means for us now to really understand the gospel in 2022. And what so many young adults, like myself and like you guys, may fall into as we were in a world where churches are preaching a gospel and how sometimes it can be wrong. And so to do that, we're going to jump right back into Galatians in chapter 6, starting verse 1. Um, we're going to read through it. And actually tonight, we're not going to be necessarily re- like studying through every single verse, but I want us to read through every verse in this chapter. Because I think it's important for us to get a whole idea of, of God's word. Not just to pinpoint certain verses and maybe take them out of context, but it's important to read the whole thing because it's God's word and every single word is important. So we're going to read through it and we're kind of going to dissect certain parts about it. So let's read along together. It should be on the screen if you don't have it. There's a mosquito that landed on my paper. That's not, oh, it's alive. Oh, that's gross. Um, okay, we're going to start in Galatians 6, 1 through 5. It says this, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So tonight, as we read through this, I'm going to make three points as to what the gospel is not for us. And so the first point I want to make today is that the gospel is not centered around you. The gospel is not centered around you. And that's a good thing. We're going to explain that in a minute. When we look at the passage we just read, we see Paul give almost a like compare and contrast type of analogy to two different types of people. There's a legalistic Christian and there's a spirit-led Christian. Two different types of Christians that we often find um, that in ourselves or uh, people around us or people involved in the church and um, it's important to, to see how this passage kind of compares and contrasts them. The legalistic Christian is a person who centers their faith around trying to check off all the boxes of Christianity, things that they have to do because they think that's what's going to get them to heaven. They think that's what's going to save them. It's the person who, when you look on the outside, everything's perfect, but then when you take a look inside, there's, there's neglect of developing a faith. It's the person who thinks that doing a certain amount of things or acting a certain way or, or accomplishing a certain amount of Christian criteria, that's what's going to get them into heaven. That's a, a legalistic view of Christianity. It's one that is not necessarily like chosen. It's not one that's, well, I mean, it can be chosen, but it's not one that's always chosen. It's not one that is, um, 
always in the front of our mind. Sometimes it develops when we think that, okay, we have to follow all the Ten Commandments, we follow all the rules of the Bible, and then by trying to fulfill every single rule and be perfect at all of them, this, this view of legalism kind of takes over. And then there's the other view, the spirit-led view. This is the view of a, of, of a person who has really understood what it means to be transformed by the gospel, to really allow God to work in their life and realize that they're not perfect, to realize that they're a sinner and realize that no amount of perfectness or doing the right thing or checking off all these boxes is going to be enough. And so it's up to God to work in their life, to, to allow God to, to fulfill in them what he has for them as his will. And so Paul kind of compares and contrasts these two people. The, legal, the, the legalistic person is always harder on themselves, sorry, always harder on others than they are on themselves. They're looking out for the benefit of themselves and they're looking out for the benefit of others. They're also the person who's looking in the sin in others than they are in themselves. Rather, the spirit-led person is the one who's looking to, to, to consider the heart of others versus over themselves. We look in verse 2, as you read, that to bear one another's burdens and to fulfill the law of Christ. That God is calling us, and Paul's writing in here, that we are to, to, to bear one another's burdens. In other words, to, to look out for others, to, to have a care for others that supersedes our own. And yeah, it's not to neglect ourselves in a sense that we're like condemning ourselves, but it's a way that looks at how Jesus loves us and reflecting that into other people. And so the spirit-led person, instead of looking at the hardship in, in, in themselves and looking at the sin in others first, they're looking at the sin themselves and realizing the weakness in themselves and the brokenness in themselves and allowing God to use them to serve others. When we look at Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 39, it gives a, a, a commandment. It's a story um, in this passage where Jesus is being asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus gives two commandments. He says this. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. This kind of narrows down one idea of what it means to have a full faith in Jesus Christ. It means to love God first and to love others. To love God first and to love others. And that should inform how we view the gospel. And then when we view the gospel in a way that loves God first and then uses that love to love others, then the, the gospel no longer becomes about us. Because when we make the gospel about us, we're, we're, we're choosing a consumership. We're choosing, God, do this for me. God, save me because I'm worth saving. God, save me because I'm the one who deserves to be saved. Rather, all the powers in God and all the authorities in God, and he's given us grace in order to be saved. And so we use the love that he's had for us to save us as a way to love others and to bear their burdens in a way that cares for others, in a way that serves for others, in a way that reflects Jesus' love in others as he's loved us first. And so as you, as you read this passage, it's important to realize that the gospel is not centered around you or me. We as Christians have an obligation to not be self-seeking in the pursuit of our faith. When we come to Jesus, we're coming to understanding that I'm no longer in the driver's seat. Rather, I'm moving into the back seat, and Jesus is moving in the driver's seat, and he's the one pointing me down a journey of, of faith. And that journey is going to point me to other people, to, for, for them to know Jesus through how I live my life and proclaiming him in everything that I do. When Jesus suffered and died on the cross, he took on a burden by dying the death that we owed. Therefore, in the same way, we often have to take on the burden of others 
That doesn't mean we're necessarily dying and being crucified for others, but it means that other people in our life need help. Other people in our life need support. And by caring for them and loving on them, we're showing Jesus through our actions. What this is all saying is that above everything in your life, put Jesus first. And because of that, we are prompted to put others above ourselves. And when we come to this understanding, we're, longer, we're no longer making our lives about us. We're trying to meet an, an expectation of being the perfect Christian or looking perfect on the outside or, or checking off all the boxes. But we're understanding a continual commitment of what it means to point others to Jesus. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, after he had resurrected, some people say he was around for three weeks or three months or a number of days or whatever. But he was around during, um, for, for a short amount of time before he ascended back up to heaven. And right before he ascended back up to heaven, he gave a commission, he gave a commandment to his followers and disciples and to us on earth. Here's what it says, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is not a self-centered commandment that Jesus is giving for us to be self-centered about. This is an outward expression of what Jesus has done for us and for, and for how we can show Jesus through our lives. If it was about us, Jesus would have said, all right, well, stay put and focus on yourself. In contrast, he's actually saying, go, therefore, and show others what I have done for you. Show others how I have transformed your life. Show them what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how to reflect that in all the actions you live out. Because there is a God who loves each one of us and loves you. And without him, we're nothing because he is everything. And so that's why the gospel is not centered around you. It leads us to our second point. The gospel is not just an emotional experience. To best explain this, we're going to read through um, Galatians 6 even more. It's Galatians 6, 6 through 10. You can read along with me. It says this. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. If we do not give up, so then, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. So, the gospel is not just an emotional experience. Being a young adult is like the most inconsistent, most uncertain, probably most nerve-wracking time of, of our lives, right? We're, we're in the midst of trying to figure out what degree we want, what career we want, who we want to marry, who, who we want to date, how much money we want to make, and we all want to make a lot of money, but it's, it's, it's big decisions we're constantly having to make, figuring out who, where we want to live, who is going to be our friends, what's my life going to look like in the next season, and there's so much pressure in this time to get all those set in stone because that's going to set the trajectory for the rest of our life. Because if we get it wrong now, oh my gosh, it's going to be screwed up for the rest of our life and we're, we're never going to make it. We're never going to be right. Nothing's going to be perfect. And so because of this pressure, there's so much way to kind of alleviate that pressure in our lives. Feeling that there has to be something in our life to make it right. There has to be something in our life to fix all the stresses or to get rid of the sin or the addiction or whatever. And so we're looking for some, for some experience. We're looking for some, some revelation of something that's going to fix my life. 
So sometimes that can be momentary when we're, we're binging on Netflix, just relieving whatever stress is in, in, in our mind. And sometimes that can be, I don't know, sinking yourself into your job, just trying to, just to, to chip away, just to, to make your life right. And sometimes it causes us to look for some spiritual awakening. It's why in our generation we find so much emphasis on the new age or the Enneagram or the law of attraction because we're hoping to find some sort of method or some sort of magic spell or something that's just going to make our life all perfect. And we're looking for some miracle to be performed or we're looking for some prayer to be answered or your life to be made perfect the way you want it. And so we're constantly searching subliminally or, or actively just for something that's going to fix that problem. And so so much of what the Christian gospel has been skewed to in America and in the world is that when I put my faith in, in Jesus, when I believe that one time, then all of a sudden all my miracles are, are going to come true and all my prayers are going to happen and God's going to come through for me and everything's going to be made right because I put my faith in God. And that by trusting in that God, then everything's just going to become all perfect. And that if I just raise my hand when I'm worshiping, if I sing loud enough or dance around enough during worship or if... I don't know, I do some hokey pokey here and there, then everything's going to go all right. But the gospel is not just an emotional experience. The gospel is not just something that makes you feel better about yourself or points you to the best decision in life, except for Jesus. A balance of faith is not just feeling something. A balance of faith comes in, in, in three ways. It's an intellectual understanding and learning of what God's word is and how to apply it to your life. The second is the actual application in your life, allowing God's word to, to inform all the decisions you make and the actions and how you live out the gospel. And then third is experiencing God through prayer, through worship, and all, and, and all the ways God's going to re reveal himself to you in your life. And when you develop an accurate balance of these three things in your life, then a real faith is... is is pursued. Because it's not just about experiencing God and all the little things in life and just hoping that everything's made all right, but it's allowing God to be experienced through living out his word, living out his commandments, being obedient to what he's commanded, and allowing God to use you for his will. Because there's no better thing than being obedient to God because it's not just following a, a, a list of rules or just being good to the Ten commandments, but it's allowing God to, to, to be blessable in all, in all the areas of your life. The third point, as we move to it, is that the gospel is not a one-time deal. The gospel is not a one-time deal. We're going to read that as we read through Galatians 11, uh, 6, 11 through 18. It says this. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that you may be not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I in the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, be peace and mercy upon them. And upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to be with your spirit, brothers, forever. As awkward as it may be, this passage talks a lot about circumcision. 
generally, you know, we're not really talking about a lot from stage, but I think it's actually important to address in this context. See, in Bible times, circumcision was a practice done to all Jewish boys eight days exactly after they'd been born. God commanded that, that Jewish men would, would be circumcised, or they would be circumcised eight days from being born, as a physical representation of being a child of God, in a sense. See, God, in all the Old Testament, had been preparing them through wandering through the desert, through being in exile, through all the kings taking over, and all the, all the mishmash of what was happening in the Old Testament. God had been preparing the Israelites to be set apart. They were God's people. Because through them, Jesus was going to come and deliver them. Through them, through the nation of Israel, Jesus would be, would be born, a Jew, like them, and deliver us. And so part of being set apart like that physically meant that they would be circumcised. See, it was like a one-time deal that was done when they were a baby, and, and it showed the physical representation that they were Jewish. But it didn't negate necessarily like having to obey or not obey all the laws, right? Because if they're circumcised as a, one de- as a one-time deal, it doesn't necessarily mean that they can just go around disobeying everything. Right? They still had Jewish laws to uphold. They still had a life to, to live out in addition to fulfilling the physical practice of circumcision. Our faith is like that today. When we said yes to God in junior high and high school camp or whatever 10 years ago, it doesn't mean that we neglect every other part of our faith now. It doesn't mean that, that we forget what it means to, to have a full commitment to Jesus just because we said yes a long time ago. The gospel is a living and breathing truth that moves in us from the time we say yes all the way to the time that we die. And it's something that's continually revealing, something that's continually renewing, something that's transforming us, not just once, but all the time. It's not just for baby believers, but it's for veteran Christians. It, uh, it reminds me of this verse, Romans 12, 1 through 2, I think I have here. Um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When we commit ourselves to Jesus, it is not just like we've got to the finish line, and that's it, now we've made our way to heaven. Saying yes to Jesus is, is, is the starting point. Because you're saying, from now on, from this point forward, I am moving to a full commitment of Jesus. And when we commit ourselves to Jesus, it's not just a, a yes or a checking off a box or click here to agree to terms and conditions. It's a commitment that everything I'm doing now is going to be transformed or renewed, and everything about me is going to be changed in my heart in order to present myself to God. This verse is talking about a, a, a living sacrifice. It's saying that everything you're doing is as if you're sacrificing yourself for God because everything is, that you're hoping to do is the will of God. It reminds me of uh, when I was in high school, I worked for my uncle's jewelry store. He owns a jewelry store, and I worked there for a number of years throughout high school and early college. And I didn't really do much with jewelry or watches, whatever they sold. My job was just like cleaning. I would like vacuum or mop or like organize closets or put files back where they're supposed to go and all the stuff and check off inventory here and there. And then I had to like polish all the showcases and make them look nice and sparkly so when people came in, they get to see all the jewelry really all pretty. 
Well, when you walk in the store, there's like a, a corner to the side that's not really present, like not really visible when you first walk in. You kind of have to look, and it's kind of like a darker corner, and it's like that's probably where they put things that people are less likely going to buy, but things that they should probably have in the jewelry store. So one of those showcases has like all like the silver knickknacks. It has like the silver spoons. It has the, the silver napkin rings, the picture frames. It has like little animals that are silver in case people want to buy the stuff. I don't know, like old women like the stuff or something. I don't know. And so they... They have that stuff there, and I guess I wouldn't say it's my taste, but part of my job was to, to not only clean the showcases, but to, was to polish the silver. Because silver, after a certain amount of time being exposed in the air and sitting around, oxidizes. It turns this brown and crusty and sometimes green, and, and it doesn't have that sparkly, brilliant shine that it's supposed to have as silver. And so it doesn't look as good. So obviously we've got to polish it to make it look good for customers to want to buy it. So I'd like get some cloth and some polish and go to the buffer machine and sit there and polish it and make it look all pretty and shiny again. And I loved doing it. I thought it was so much fun because I had to take something that was all like dirty and crusty and, and, and renew it and make it brand new and make it seem valuable again, make it beautiful. Our faith kind of works like that. It's not just we're cast in silver and that's it. We, 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 we let the spoon sit forever. When we commit ourselves to Jesus, we're like a new creation, as it says in in the verse in Galatians, how we're not based on circumcision, but we're based on creation, a new creation. So we're made new in Christ. So we make that one-time decision. We're cast in that silver. We're made in that perfect spoon. And then it doesn't end there. Right? We have to continually polish our faith. We constantly have to renew and transform, allow God to transform us because we're not perfect and expecting to be saved and expecting to live out a perfect life is not, is not attainable. So it's a constant renewal, a constant polishing, constant going back to God and say, God, I'm going to continually commit myself to you. Every morning waking up and say, God, I'm committing today to you. Yes, I'm going to sin. Yes, I'm going to do wrong. Yes, I'm not going to be perfect. But God, I still commit my life to you now moving forward. It's a constant renewal. And God is that polisher who's making us a shiny, brilliant spoon again. The gospel is not a one-time deal. It is a constant, continual commitment to knowing that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. So, what does this mean for us today in 2022? Believing in Jesus does not go, well, English, goes far beyond just a simple yes. It informs every area of our life. It informs the career we choose. It informs who we hang out with, what we wear, what we look like, what we say, what we do. It informs how we spend our money. It informs who we marry or who we date and what we do between then. It informs every single aspect of our life. And when someone falls into understanding a gospel that is not true, then then their life is informed in the wrong way because they're believing in something that's not saving. And the gospel is not just for people who are brand new to the faith, but it's for people who've known the faith for their entire life for however long it may be. In one of my favorite documentaries, Christian documentaries, Matt may have mentioned it before from the stage, it's called American Gospel. And in it, a pastor, a famous pastor named Paul Washer is being interviewed. And in this interview, he's telling a story of a time where he was invited to speak at a church that wasn't his own. And so he's preparing for this, and the people of that church ask him, whoever, whoever invited him, asks him, so what are you going to preach about? And he says, well, I'm just going to preach the gospel. And the person who's talking to him is like, well, I mean, that's great, but like, 
the people at our church are like veteran Christians. They've known the gospel for their entire life. They're like, they're mature. They don't need to know the gospel. Why don't you teach on something else? And Paul Washer makes it a point, tells them that the gospel is something that is always, not just at the beginning and not just at the end. It is the, the gospel is something that is true for us all the time. In every single moment of our life, in every single way that we live, in every single aspect of who we are, the gospel needs to reign true. Because without the gospel, we are nothing. The gospel takes the sin that we've committed and that we deserve to die from, and Jesus comes in and substitutes himself for our debt, and he pays his life on the cross. And he resurrected three days later, defeating all sin and all death that sin was deserved from, and he, and he takes that for us. And he's saying, yes, you're not perfect. Yes, you're not good enough. But I love you this much that I'm going to take this debt for you. And when we realize that, it informs how we live, how we love others, how we get to experience God, and how we get to continually renew and be renewed and be transformed by understanding the gospel in every area of our life. That's why a skewed view of the gospel hurts people. Because when you look at the gospel in the wrong way, it points you to the wrong thing. And it points you to a not saving reality. My question is, are you believing in a God so he can perform the miracle to fix your life? Or so you can answer your prayer? Or to make your life just right? Are you believing in the God who, who just can get you into heaven because you just want to get away from earth or whatever? Not have to deal with suffering in the end? Are you believing in God because everyone else does? And where that's the culture we live in or something? And what if God doesn't do any of that? What if God doesn't do the miracle? What if God doesn't answer the prayer? What if God doesn't give you the life of your dreams? Is he still the God worth believing in? The answer is yes. Because no other thing on earth, no other fathomable thing can save us besides God. Because he loved us so much that he sent Jesus to save us. To die on a cross to pay the debt that we owe. So tonight... We're not going to go into discussion groups. We're not going to go into question and answer time. I actually want us to each individually ponder on how we can allow the gospel to reign true in our life. So we're going to actually jump back into a time of worship. And during this time, I want you guys to think about two things. One, if you're someone who's would consider yourself a Christian, someone who's been in the church, someone who knows what the gospel is, I want you to ask yourself this question and come before God and say, God, help me answer this question. What in your life is possibly causing you to skew the gospel? Or what in your life do you feel like you're, you're maybe neglecting to believe that's true in the gospel? Or what, what view do you have wrong in the gospel? And the second one, if you're someone who's skeptical about all this, someone who doesn't really believe in God or believe in Jesus, or someone who's kind of on the fence back and forth, one, we love that you're here. But two, the question I want you to answer is, What's holding you back from holding true to the gospel? What may be the scary thing or what may be the uncertain thing or what's going to be the thing that, that's really holding you back? I want us to go before God in this time and worship him and thank him and, 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 and marvel at who he is because he is the only God who can save us. He is the God who loves you so much that he created you and gave you a purpose and gave you a calling on your life to go out and seek people for him. That every aspect of your life would reflect who he is. There's no, other, there's no other being who came down to earth and proclaimed that they were God. 
But we get to follow Jesus. We get to follow the, the one who came down, lived a perfect life, and died undeservingly for us. And that is the gospel. That is the gospel that we get to believe in. Not a gospel that is centered around you or me. Not a gospel that is just for looking for some experience. And not a gospel that is just a one-time thing. But a continual commitment to who Jesus is and how you can make him a part of your life. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you, as we come before your throne, Father, you are an amazing, wonderful, almighty, powerful God. You are God before all other things, Father. You are everlasting, all-powerful, and nothing can stand before you because you are victorious. Father, I thank you for the gospel. God, I thank you for, for saving me and saving each person here when we commit ourselves to you, Father. That it's nothing that we can do on our own, not through our works, not through meeting a certain criteria, but just by believing that you have come to save us. And that we don't deserve that, but you've given it to us through grace, by faith. Father, I pray that as we enter in this time of worship, that we would come before you, Father, and we would know you and, 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 and experience what it means to be saved by you. Not just looking to get a prayer answered or have a miracle fulfilled, Father, but coming to you and saying, Father, thank you for being the God that saved me. Help us orient ourselves and realign ourselves to a true saving gospel, one that is biblical, one that is centered around you, and one that is committed to honoring you in every aspect of our life. Father, we thank you for who you are. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast. For more information about our services, events, and ways to get involved, head on over to scgchurch.org. Thanks again for listening.